0: Welcome to another Books and Culture podcast with Books and Culture's John Wilson, who's the editor, and I'm Stan Guthrie. And John, I said when we came in here, it looks like we're going to be doing a preview, but actually you reminded me the issue's already out, the March-April issue. Yes, Dan, the issue is out. Some readers may not have received it yet. It may still be wending its way to their mailbox. The cover image is for a piece by... Philip Jenkins called Operation Judgment and it's about the Battle of Verdun which was the longest battle of World War 1. The title Operation Judgment is very ironic because that was the name that the Germans gave to the particular offensive that started the battle. It's ironic because from this historical vantage point. We look at it and think, well, who exactly was judged and what was <laughs> what was the nature of the, <laughs> of the judgment? But it's a characteristically incisive piece by Philip Jenkins. What can you tell me about the book he reviewed? It's a book on the battle published by Oxford University Press. He commends it highly. At the same time, like a lot of pieces, it's not just about the book. It's about the larger subject and so he uses the book as a point of departure he doesn't neglect it but it's not just about the book itself one point that he makes is it's certainly something that we've heard before it's not something that no one has mentioned in fact it's been mentioned extensively and yet it's still hard for us to grasp the impact that world war 1 made on many contemporaries including karl bart as mm-hmm. philip mentions We've all read that. We're intellectually aware of it. And yet, just because of the century between us in time, it's hard for us to imaginatively enter into that. Tell us about our old friend, Alan Jacobs. Alan Jacobs writes the best piece I've ever seen on a famous controversy, the so-called Two Cultures Controversy, that particularly featured C.P. Snow and F.R. Levis. It was based on a lecture that Snow gave that then became a book, and then Levis himself responded to it in really an extended essay that was also published as a book. It's been framed as a contest, a battle between the sciences and the humanities. Hmm. But part of what's interesting about Allen's piece is the way that he shows how much that has been written subsequently about the debate is rather misleading if you go back and read what Snow actually said. And he suggests that we can more productively think about how both the sciences and the humanities have certain common enemies, certain habits of thought, certain ways of seeing the world, that rather than choosing one or the other or raising one above the other, that they each have their place, but they have, you might say, common enemies. What about the puzzle of Beowulf? Well, if you asked who are the three top scholars of Anglo-Saxon literature today, anywhere, one of them would be Tom Shippey, who's now retired, but it's a very vigorous (laughs) retirement. People who are fans of Tolkien will have read a couple of books that he's written on Tolkien, he's written books for the general reader. He's also written books for his scholarly peers. And in this case, he's reviewing a new version of Beowulf by Douglas Wilson, which is not itself a direct translation, as Wilson mentions in the front matter. But he knows Anglo-Saxon, but he's not a scholar, and he wouldn't presume to do a translation from scratch. And he worked from five or six other translations and then did his own verse rendering of the poem. And so part of what's really interesting about this piece is what Tom Shippey has to say about the way it works as a Christian poem and how that's not, even after all these centuries of vigorous scholarly investigation and debate over the poem, That's by no means a settled matter. And Doug Wilson has a particular angle on that, which Tom Shippey finds persuasive. He's also just a terrific writer, Shippey. So the review, besides being something you learn from, is a pleasure to read. And I would say the same thing about the version of Beowulf that he's reviewing. Why is Haiti the future? Ha! (laughs) Well, that's reviewing a book by Amy Wilentz, who's written a lot about Haiti, has spent time living in Haiti. And that's a rhetorical move that she makes to try to undermine what she regards as invidious characterizations of Haiti. Haiti is so backward. Haiti is this. Haiti is that. And so she turns those common perceptions on their head and says, no, Haiti's not backward. Haiti is actually a glimpse of the future that's in store for us if this unchecked predatory capitalism and various other malign forces are allowed to continue on their present course. The reviewer is to some degree sympathetic with her perspective, particularly in encountering a received narrative about Haiti. And then on the other hand, he's not completely uncritical. I think reading that piece along with a piece by Christine Folch on The Fate of the Arab Spring I think those pieces, which are about completely different histories, completely different parts of the world, what they have in common is that they're both seeking to stand back and critically examine some received opinions that are just repeated over and over again and say, no, the reality is messier than that. And then we have a couple of poems. I love poetry, as you know, and I wish we had even more room in the magazine for poetry. I'm very glad that I can carve out some space for it. It's not just writing about poetry. There's a poet I really like, and and we actually did a podcast, I think, and I wrote a column that talked about one of his books, Benjamin Myers. He's from Oklahoma Baptist University, and he's relatively recently published his second book of poems, but this is his first time in the magazine, and he's writing about the poet Paul Mariani, And he's writing in particular about a a retrospective collection of Mariani's poems that appeared from Cascade, which is an imprint of Wipfenstock, a poetry series that's edited by Don Martin for Cascade. And it's such a tremendously encouraging thing to see a Christian publisher that evolved the way Wipfenstock has done, primarily doing books related to theology, biblical studies, and then branching out a bit more into what you might call Christianity and public life, but now doing poetry, and you and I have talked before about this series that they recently started, that Greg Wolf, the editor of Image, is presiding over called Slant, which is a fiction imprint. In the next issue of Books and Culture, the one that Jennifer and I are working on right now, the May-June issue, there is a conversation between Rudy and Shirley Nelson, who have written a novel about Guatemala, and Paula Houston, who has written a novel that covers the same terrain from a different perspective. And Paula Houston's novel, A Land Without Sin, was the second book published under this slant imprint that Greg is doing for Wiffenstock. This issue and the next of Books and Culture look great, and I encourage our listeners to subscribe. Books and Culture is one of those trusted places where you bring in the brightest minds and the best thinkers and season it with some really good writing and thinking. Thanks, John. Well, thanks, Dan. And I think also it's just a lot of fun to read. Now, not everyone would find it fun to read. (laughs) I admit that. But you learn a lot. But also, as I was saying, I was talking about Tom Shippey's piece. There's just a delight, at least so I feel and a lot of the writing and the juxtaposition of the subjects and Jennifer's work on the design. and I hope that that delight is contagious. I think it is. Thanks, John. Thanks, Dan.